welcome to episode 33 of Anatomy of Tone. I'm your host, Mark Marshall. In this week's podcast, we're going to check out an overdrive pedal I'm very excited about from a company called Sarno, and the pedal is called the Earth Drive Pedal. There's so many overdrives on the market, it always seems impossible to find the right one. I feel like as many as there are on the market, there aren't as many that I actually am excited and have stuck with over the years. I've tried, I've owned so many and I've sold so many of them. And I, it is a personal preference thing. You have to find one that responds to your rig and your touch and your guitars and the other pedals that you're using. I've just always struggled with it because I like overdriven amps the best. I really like to push tube amps, get them to that point of just saturating and then sometimes use another pedal to add more onto the gain staging. And I just have not for the most part been able to find that in a pedal form except for the Effectro tube drive pedal which I do love you've heard me talk about it probably a million times on here because it does everything I want an overdrive pedal to do it's a large pedal and it has tubes in it. it does have special power requirements so there are times when I do need another alternative for an overdrive pedal taking a small pedal board and this is a, a bunch of different reasons it was really hard though to find an alternative I happened to be checking out a pedal that a friend of mine got called the earth drive a little while ago and he really liked it it was just like this is a great pedal at that point it was a little bit cynical it was Sure it is, okay, like every drive pedal, right, that I've tried and haven't liked. And when I plugged it in, I was immediately impressed with it. There was something about the tone of it. It didn't over-compress, which sometimes I feel that a tube screamer does. And there are times when you want that compression and mid-range bump that a tube screamer has. It's almost like a softer attack. You get a, just a, a softer uh, overall like response to the, the tube screamer style pedals. Sometimes I don't want that. And I find that to just be, I don't know, it's uh, too soft, too compressed. And honestly, sometimes it feels like even on its lower setting, it's too much drive. I'll get to more of that later. The earth drive feels wide open and there's... A more broad dynamic range when I'm playing it. I feel and I hear it. I would say the characteristics of it are it's clear. It doesn't make your guitar sound small. It's very touch sensitive and it's not overly compressed. It's interesting getting into the topic about overdrive pedals making your guitar sound small. A lot of times people associate distortion drive with making your guitar sound big. But I feel like it's not always easy to achieve when you're using a drive pedal into a clean amp. This is why a lot of times I will pair a lightly overdriven amp with a drive pedal together. You don't hear the pedal as much and they work together and have this great chemistry where they each elevate each other. You get more gain, but by the amp doing some of the gain staging, it just doesn't expose the pedal for being overly small right or, or or you hear it as much the earth drive I, I although i do like pairing it i'm going to talk about a lot of pairing with this pedal later but on its own it doesn't sound as small and depending on where you set the volume on drive pedals can affect this too i've seen a lot of players turn the drive pedals on and not have their on setting for the drive pedal match their off setting it's deceiving to the ears like what you think is the same volume isn't necessarily the same volume because no matter how much you don't want an overdrive pedal to be decompressed 
it is compressed, so it raises the lowest or the quieter part of your signal and tricks your ears into thinking it's louder. But what you really have to check is the transients to make sure the transients are in the right place. And the overdrives will typically sound a little louder at the right setting when they're on than when they're off. This helps make the guitar sound bigger and less small. I find that setting drive pedals below unity gain on the amp just makes them sound a lot more tiny. And I don't find that to be a very desirable sound. And that just sounds like a pedal to me. The Earth Drive suffers from this a lot less. I still do the gain staging with it, but it doesn't have that feeling of it being small, which happens to me sometimes with a, a Tube Screamer or an OCD or something. And also on that note, the first thing you do when you get a drive pedal shouldn't be to turn the gain all the way on 10. And sure, it's fun to see how much saturation a pedal can get. There's often a sweet spot within drive pedals, and it's not all the way up. I find it's between 2 and 3 p.m. or noon to 3 p.m. is like the max I will usually get. And 3 p.m. is usually pushing it. I find that below there, the pedal will sound more open, not as small. If I desire more gain, I'm much more likely to run two pedals in series, two overdrive pedals, a preamp pedal and a drive pedal, a drive pedal and an overdriven amp, a drive pedal and a boost pedal. There's a number of different ways we can pair some pedals up to help each other out with the buddy system. I tend to prefer that almost always to having a drive pedal turning all the way up. So when you get one and do that, if you're turning the gain all the way up and trying it out, you're already trying out the pedal, not in its sweet spot. I'm not saying not to do it. I'm saying don't start there and make sure before you decide on a pedal that you're trying it in a variety of different positions, particularly between 8, 9, and, and 1, 2 p.m. on the gain knob. The EQ curve is another area where I often have issues with drive pedals. I have mentioned the Maxon SD9 distortion pedal. I do like that distortion pedal. The EQ knob is virtually unusable on it. You can have it fully off or just barely on. Anything past that, it just gets so bright and shrill. But when you keep it low, it's actually a great sounding pedal. And I have issues with a lot of other drive pedals, the OCD, which by the way, I don't hate on the OCD. I have one and I do use it for some situations and it, sometimes it's a fantastic pedal. It's not my always go-to. I feel like there's, I think because of the compression and maybe the EQ curve that it's not what I always lean to, but the EQ curve on the OCD is better than I find on a lot of other drive pedals, but still not as sweet as the tube drive or the earth drive. I just find it very easy to dial in the EQ setting using the earth drive. It's not ultra sensitive. I'm not saying it doesn't create a lot of change. It does, but it's not one of those dials that if you breathe on it, all of a sudden it's too bright or too dark. It's very musical in the sense of allowing you to get a broad range of variations of um, softer to brighter tones out of it. I also really like using the earth drive as a clean boost in front of amps. People have been doing this for years. They've been using either treble boosters or a clean boost or people used to use a TS9 uh, with the gain all the way down, the volume all the way up to hit the front end of their amp. I know Steve Rivon did this and a lot of guitarists used to do this in front of their Marshalls. I use the earth drive in the same way, but I find it even sweeter because it, it doesn't share some of those limitations. For me, what are limitations with the Tube Screamer? For other people, they may be benefits. And there are times, again, where I 
do use the Tube Screamer for that purpose, for that sound. But I find that the Earth Drive is a little bit more modern sounding and less maybe cliche, or it just is a little more natural sounding. Another conversation worth having is the topic of pairing amps with pedals. And there are certain overdrive pedal and amp combinations that work better than others. You'll notice this when you get drive pedals. It's a little tricky to find a drive pedal that works equally as well with every amplifier. But I think Sarno has done it. The Earth Drive, and you'll hear in these examples I've done, paired it with a lot of different amps and Tweeds and, uh, and Vox and Marshall and Black Panel Fenders. And it just really sings with all of them quite well. I didn't really find a weak spot with it that I felt like um, I wouldn't use this in this application. Uh, I know it sounds like I don't have anything to say about it. I think probably because I don't, because uh, it's it's a pretty great pedal. It doesn't give you a huge amount of drive. So if you're expecting a distortion pedal with tons of saturation, it gets dirty, plenty dirty, but it's not, say, in the same camp as something that's just a higher gain pedal. So maybe if you're looking for a high gain pedal, that's not what you're looking for. But for all the colors of overdrive versus distortion, it's fantastic. It's interesting. I guess it shouldn't be such a surprise that Sarno has created such a great pedal. They make preamps, two preamps for guitars, and they make a tube direct box for pedal steel. They have their finger on the reaction and the circuitry of real tube amps. It seems to me that that knowledge and expertise went into the design of this pedal. It also works well with humbuckers or single coils or P90s. I've tried it with a variety of guitars and in each situation, didn't even really have to change much on the pedal. It just worked. It seems to be very, very universal when it comes to being able to be used in a variety of applications, but it's not generic. Sometimes that universal word comes up and you just think, okay, yeah, it just uh, it does everything but it doesn't have any personality. It has the right personality. It does all the jobs really well, and it's in a fairly small box and takes 9-volt power, so it works well on medium-sized to smaller pedal boards. It's not a mini pedal. It's a little bigger than an MXR pedal, but a similar rectangular shape. Let's check out some examples of my experiments using the Earth Drive. I've been working on a couple of new compositions this week and felt like I would just explain how I ended up using this and why I chose it in the sessions and how it's being used in the real world as opposed to just some jammy examples. This first song I'm working on is part 80s, part 90s vibe. I'm not done tracking it yet, but I use the Earth Drive in a variety of different applications of this song from saturation for drum machine synthesizers to bass and also on guitar. I'm going to just start off by playing you the full song. This is a rough mix. I am not done. There's acoustic drums to be tracked on this. So what you're hearing is a work in progress. It gives you a little bit of an idea of what a song sounds like when it's midway through its uh, evolution. I'll be tracking drums in two weeks and then I'll, I'll play you the full mix when it's done. Let's listen.
I'm going to go in order of the instruments that were being introduced in the song. The first thing we hear are some synths, which are from a Prophet 10 uh, analog synthesizer. I ran that into the earth drive to get some gentle saturation on it, warm up the sound. Saturation sounds wonderful on synthesizers. Sometimes I love running them through old uh, cassette tape machines and different drive pedals to add a, I don't know, it's hard to explain the character it adds, but somehow it just glues the sound together a little more. And overdrive is a very, very subtle form of compression, and it does shift the EQ curve a little bit, which I also find flattering as opposed to the perfectly clean sound of the earth drive. Now, on the synths, I also used an Analog Man mini chorus to get more of that 80s vibe. Chorus and analog synths just love each other. Uh, let's listen to the synths isolated so you can hear the earth drive warming up and giving a little more harmonic richness to the sound. One thing people don't realize is that the drum machine sounds and the synth sounds from the 80s were pretty heavily processed. Sometimes when you get an old analog synth and you plug it in and you're going through the presets and you're like, this is what it sounds like. It's not like it's bad. It just sounds very different than the end result. So I'm using the Earth Drive and the Analog Man mini chorus to do some of that processing as would have been done in the 80s. Let's hear another synth part that was also saturated using the Earth Drive. Now I switched to an OB6 synthesizer and I'm also processing that with the earth drive. Let's move on to the next character in the production, that is the bass. I used a Fender Bass 6 and I split the signal, so it went to a DI, which then went into an API preamp and a purple MC77 compressor. I also ran one of the signals out of the DI box to a vintage V4B Ampeg head with an earth drive placed in between it. So the earth drive was only going to the Ampeg for some saturation, but not a ton. I wasn't overdriving it hard. I was just looking to focus the sound in a very specific way. I wasn't looking for this bass part to be super low and heavy in the sense of like covering um, root notes. It was more of a melodic bass part. I was thinking late 70s, early 80s with this, a lot of the new wave or post-punk era sounds. And I wanted to blend the saturated and clean together and see culminate in one sound that was going to stick out in a mix when I was playing with a bass with a pick. Let's listen to it. Also saturated a drum machine. I was using Machina from Native Instruments. I found some cool samples on there and just ran a mono signal out into the earth drive and then into my signal chain, which is my API and purple audio. Let's check it out now. I do intend on putting some real drums on top of this. This is more like a 90s jungle pattern that's gonna sit alongside an analog drum kit. <laughs>
I prefer to use pedals for this function rather than saturation plugins. And there are some great saturation plugins. I just find that drive pedals sound a lot cooler with drum machines and synthesizers in general. So much more likely to use an analog drum machine and synth and plug it through some real uh, gear to uh, manipulate the tone. Let's dig into some guitar parts. The first guitar part I'm going to play for you is a double-tracked part that I wrote for the chorus. They're playing the same thing, but I did use two different guitars, although I used the same amplifier. So one side is a Gibson Melody Maker with a P90 in it. I'm really a fan of this guitar, this particular P90. I think somebody put in a Voodoo P90 in it. I don't believe it's the stock P90. I got it from a friend for a really low price, which was amazing of him to give it to me. It's really a special guitar. I also double-tracked it with the Les Paul on the other side. It also has Voodoo 59 humbuckers in it. I really liked Voodoo pickups when Peter was making them. Now I use the Mercury ones, which we'll hear later from Gemini pickups. I ran the Earth Drive in front of a Marshall Plexi. One note about recording plexis, I find that most of the plexis I've played through are pretty bright, and this is a non-master volume plexi. I find that a Poltec EQ really works well with it, just to give it a little bit more girth. I'm just using it to push a little bit more of the low end in that particular track, so it sounds a little fuller. I used a Vox and a Stratocaster for this next example. I have the Earth Drive on. The Vox was saturating just a, a little and then the earth drive was a little as well i also have a retrosonic chorus which is basically the original roland or boss chorus circuit that is the ce1 it's that same circuit that i have in series let's listen I wanted a more saturated sound in the chorus to sit beneath those double-tracked guitars I played earlier. I used the Rush Pep Box before the Earth Drive to get more saturation. The Earth Drive is mellowing out the buzziness of the fuzz. We get the focused mid-range buzz of the Pep Box, but then the Earth Drive shaves off some of those high-end transients and brightness that we get traditionally from the pep box. You're going to hear some of my post-punk influence in the bridge rhythm guitar parts. And, of course, uh, First Wave Punk, The Clash, and also Gang of Four, and there's a lot of that early music, Killing Joke, and a lot of those bands whose sounds have really inspired me over the years. This is a little bit inspired by that. I used the Vox again, Telecaster. Uh, I used the Earth Drive. It's less saturated than the other pairing of the Earth Drive and the Vox. It's more of a cleaner sound. I just want to contain some of the transients a little bit. Clean sometimes is 
I don't know, you don't get enough sustain out of it. You just feel like you get that very fast attack, a very percussive attack, and then it disappears. So there's times I want more length to the tone, and I feel like using an overdrive pedal in more of a saturation mode, very, very late overdrive mode, allows you to get more of that length out of the note. So it tames the transient a little and also lengthens the note. the earth drive again with more of a non-traditional setup so i am using the earth drive into the schaefer replica pedal and that is going into a marshall plexine and a lot of people don't know about the schaefer replica it's an amazing pedal it's basically a recreation of the one of the earliest uh, wireless units the schaefer vega replica it's a really wonderful sound it's the sound of back and black and they've really captured in this pedal i did talk about this in another podcast and if you're interested in knowing more you can go to the podcast and listen to it back a few episodes or you can go to my website anatomy of guitar tone and i have a whole article there with sound examples and talking about the history of the design and all that stuff but the earth drive paired really amazingly well with the replica and into the Marshall Plexi, they were each doing a little bit of the job. And I think that's an interesting point to make sometimes about pedals is sometimes people try to expect one to do all the heavy lifting. And it's often a little more culminative than that, meaning a little work from the overdrive, a little work from the preamp or boost pedal, a little work from the amplifier, work from the guitar, and they all work together. And hopefully, if you've chosen correctly, it is a chemistry that really sets off, right? And something really magical starts happening. It takes a little while to figure out what pedals and amps and guitars work well together. I've spent a lot of time doing this, as you can tell. The Earth Drive and the Replica and the Marshall is really a nice combination. I'm going to go through the first example is the, just the Marshall and the Gibson SG. I have an SG Custom with Gemini Mercury 1 humbuckers in it. Okay, first example, just the SG and the Marshall. <laughs> It's not a bad sound on its own, but let's add in the earth drive now, which is going to add a bit more gain to it. Okay, let's add in the Schaefer replica now. I was using the UA Aux with the Vintage 30 speakers for that example. I also did a solo over that chord progression with a lead sound, and I was using a little more hair on the earth drive and a little more output from the replica to push the Marshall harder. I also ran that signal to a full-tone tube tape echo to get the slapback sound.
again, that was using the Vintage 30 cab emulation on the Universal Audio Aux. In the examples where I wasn't using the aux, which were most of the guitar tracks aside from the Marshall in the songs that we were just listening to, I was using a Toll G12 dynamic microphone, which is a dynamic mic that was specifically designed for micing guitar cabinets closely straight on the center of the cone, which is usually a difficult spot to stick a microphone like a SM57 or something, although that's like a pretty common microphone to use. It will often be a bit harsh and need to add a lot of EQ to it to tame it. Uh, I'm not hating on the 57. It's a classic sound, but the G12 is definitely like an improvement in that area. I find that I have to fight with the EQ less and it, it just sounds very natural and a lot more like the amplifier sounds when I'm in the room with it. I recommend that you check it out. It's really a fabulous addition to your mic locker. For this last example, I decided to compose something in the minimalist style, very much inspired by Steve Reich and his composition, The Four Sections. I was really into that piece recently and just studying the way that he approached composing it. And it just inspired me to experiment with some of those compositional techniques. I basically wrote two motifs that I knew were going to stack on top of each other in canon-like form, and then I was going to overdub alternate versions of those basically displaced by a certain beat. This is called phasing in minimalist music, where you're basically offsetting the same part from one another, and it creates like a delayed effect. The difference is the delayed effect isn't being played back by a delay, so it is actually two separate performances. And I feel like within those independent separate performances, something happens that doesn't happen if you just use a delay or something, or, or you're looping, or you just cut and paste and offset the waveform. There's idiosyncrasies that exist within each performance you have, intonation, subtle rhythmic variations. I personally feel like the human brain picks up on all those little variations that exist in a performance. And if you're just cutting a one bar loop over and over again, subconsciously you start to feel like you're listening to a broken record. I like the idea of repetition. If I do use loops, I tend to use longer form loops. In this case, I didn't want to use loops. I wanted to keep it very organic so that by you know, a minute in or so, even if you're hearing the same part, there's subconsciously there's something a little different about it. I started with the two outer lines, which are essentially the foundation of the canon. There's a higher part and a lower part. And from there on, it's just either those two parts doubled or tripled offset. I did check when I was writing to make sure that the harmonies were blending well together. I didn't have any dissonances that were rubbing in an unflattering way before I moved on to the next parts. Then once I had the harmonies together, I decided how I wanted each of the duplicates to be offset. So in guitar one, melody line one, I had the original line and then I would offset the next one by maybe an eighth note and then the next one by maybe a, a dotted eighth note. And so you have uh, three different points in time that that first part is being played back. And they did the same thing with the same amounts of uh, time adjustment for each of the duplicates on the second guitar part as well. So there are six arpeggiated guitar parts performed independently 
that create this sound and they, they come in one at a time and then they leave one at a time. Before I did this, I really thought about the composition. I composed the whole thing out and wrote it out just made sure I was clear about where the harmony and where the parts are coming in, how I was ending it. And then I thought about the guitar sounds. Something I was talking to my college students about this week was the power in pre-production. I think about it a lot in pre-production. By the time I have Pro Tools open and I'm starting to record, I'm an engineer at that point, and I'm just recording and trying to capture the ideas that I've written down. So I take time to make notes about what guitar, what pedals, what amp, and what preamp, everything that I'm going to use prior to recording a part. That way, I just get hung up less as I'm recording. I don't get as distracted. I could be in the moment of engineering and don't feel like I'm fighting the creative side of my brain. For this song, I decided that I wanted all the guitars to be glued together in some ways. Sometimes when I'm double tracking or triple tracking guitars, I will switch up the amplifier, I'll switch up the guitars. But I didn't want this. I wanted this to be congealed much like a piano is. And no matter where you play a note on a piano, it still sounds like it's from that same instrument. That's how I wanted this whole piece to turn out. And I wanted a bit of a rounder, woody, uh, softer tone with a little bit of a, a more of a air uh, with the resonance around the note. And I chose a Gibson ES-335 with the Voodoo 59 humbuckers in it. The 335 is just great at capturing a nice woody tone seems to have a little more air around the note when you play it, which I wanted for this song. Sometimes when you use a solid body like a Les Paul or a Telecaster, it seems more direct. The note is direct. A 335 or a hollow body guitar seems like it's just got more of a halo around the note. And I wanted that. I decided to plug that into the earth drive because I wanted to use the neck pickup on the 335 and I find that using overdrives in a really light setting allows you to focus the sound of a humbucker, neck humbucker sometimes, which can be a little cloudy. I love them, but they can be a little cloudy. So this, in some ways, just managed to shift around the frequencies in a way that makes the neck pickup a little more articulate. I ran that into a Little King, which is from Headstrong Amps. It's basically a black panel Princeton reverb, but with a 12-inch speaker in it, and I mic'd it with the Toll G12 microphone. It's the only mic on it. I think you'll hear that there's just a natural open sound that you get from this combination. Also, just from being a mic'd cab, I feel like the air aspect is something that lacks in all of the modelers, even in the aux. For that reason, I still try to use a mic'd guitar cabinet for as much as possible only on tracks that I need to cut late at night or maybe in a really fast setting that I don't use a microphone but I will almost always still use a microphone for a recording that really matters. For the low uh, sustaining chord like parts in this I used a bass 6 on the two lowest notes that are a fifth apart made sure to keep those notes at least a fifth apart because if we study the harmonic overtone series, we'll know that where the low note of this bass six existed and we start to get into that range where anything closer than a fifth can get a little muddy. So the lower two notes on the bass six, then I started stacking the baritone notes, three baritones on top of that 
all used with an Ebo through the same signal chain. Now, how I came about this chord was just combining all of the notes that exist in the top melody line and lower melody line. So I combine them all vertically because if we listen to the arpeggiated part or the, just the pattern, it's not truly an arpeggio, we hear the notes being played one at a time. I took that horizontal line, just put them on top of each other, and I dropped the register so that I can have um, a sonority that just I felt worked better for the song. And that was just adjusting some of the octaves that the notes were played in in order to get this rich, sustained sound. Let's listen to it. For the low droning chord, I also sent out the sum of all the bass six and baritones together out to a Chase Bliss CXM 1978 and adjusted the parameters on there so the low end wasn't resonating as heavily through the reverb, but it did have a slight modulation effect on it and it was on the hall in the classic sound, which allowed it to... Uh, I don't know, just lowers the sample rate on it essentially, so it's a little grungier than in the hi-fi setting. It just added a little more wash to the sound. I also EQ'd the low end off of that reverb signal after it got back into Pro Tools, so it didn't muddy up my uh, signal chain at all when going to the master bus. The reverb on the guitar is coming from the Valhalla Vintage Reverb, which is one of my favorite reverb plugins. I was treating it 
in stereo and for that matter i just didn't send it out to a digital reverb or an analog reverb i tend to treat most of my outboard effects as mono devices because i'm mostly dealing with mono synths and guitars so whether it's the prophet or the arp 2600 or it's my electric guitar signal i'm not dealing with a lot of stereo effects so if i'm dealing with stereo it's more in the box and i don't tend to send outside of the pro tools to make those adjustments i really feel like the earth drive is helping me get more the sustain as i mentioned earlier and less attack out of a perfectly clean amplifier you don't really hear it so much you almost wouldn't know that there's overdrive on there but there is and this is one of the many places that the sort of earth drive shines and being able to use it as a saturation almost like a preamp device in front of a clean amp you're really not getting a lot of drive out of it but it's just helping to shape your sound in a favorable way. You can check out the Earth Drive at sarnomusicsolutions.com. You can also buy the Earth Drive there if you're interested. I highly recommend it. I'll also be doing a full blog on my website in the next coming weeks, so keep your eyes posted if you feel like refreshing on the information I discussed in this episode. I hope you enjoyed episode 33 of Anatomy of Tone. If you're digging this podcast, please rate me online, leave me a review, leave me a comment, reach out to me on my website of Anatomy of Guitar Tone. If you have any questions, if there's any topics that you would like to have covered, you're interested in taking composition or guitar lessons, I offer private guitar and composition lessons as well as engineering lessons. Again, you can find me at anatomyofguitartone.com. I'm going to be doing these podcasts every two weeks rather than every week. It seems to be hard to upkeep a weekly schedule with everything I have going on. Two weeks gives me a little more space in order to create more elaborate examples and to dig deeper into the techniques or the products that I'm discussing. So I'll see you in two weeks and I hope everybody has a great time until then. <laughs>